There are very few things that investors can do that are free. But what about a podcast that delivers educational content on investing, saving strategies, financial planning, topical items of interest, and maybe even the odd wacky topic? Welcome to Free Lunch. Hosted by Greg Kramitsky and Colin Andrews of the CM Group at CIBC Wood Gundy, Free Lunch will bring listeners the firm's vast knowledge and experience in dealing with uncertainty to help clients achieve their vision through a deep understanding of what is important to them that requires planning, money, and time. Learn more and subscribe today at markets-work.com. Welcome back to the Free Lunch with Greg Kraminski and Colin Andrews. Greg, nice to see you again. You too, Colin. And Greg, as you recall, last week we talked about some upbeat things like stress, anxiety, and headlines. Oh, yes. And hairlines, if I recall. Yes, that's right. And with the focus on what can a person do with their portfolio when they're dealt those stressful messages and This week, we're going to dig into something along the same lines, maybe a little different. There's been a lot of advertisements recently about things like robo-advisors, Greg. Yes, I've seen some of those. We'll be talking about them specifically. What I wanted to start with is let's have a definition of what a robo-advisor is. Like When I think of robo-advisor, two things come to mind. Robocop, the movie. Yes. And The Terminator. (laughs) And, (laughs) And I'm not really sure why. I guess it's just AI or artificial intelligence that is where it comes from. But what is a robo-advisor? And interestingly enough today, Greg, you and I spent a good deal of our day on two virtual conferences. Which is unfortunate that they had to be virtual, but that's the way the world is right now. These are conferences that we attend every year, typically in person, to try to upgrade our knowledge and understanding of what's going on in the world and try to make sure that we're offering the best service and the best advice to clients. But it was kind of cool that In one of the conferences, we got to participate in a conversation with a Nobel laureate, Jean Fama. And then when we were done with that presentation, we headed over to our other conference and we participated in a conversation with somebody who's going to be on our show actually in a couple of weeks, Carl Richards, who is a New York Times sketch artist, author of The Behavior Gap, well-known person in our field anyways. So that was kind of cool that without leaving our desk or our office, we were connected from Santa Monica to London, England. It really is maybe something that has changed because of this pandemic and maybe will be a permanent change that we see going forward. That's right. So let's get into it then. What is a robo-advisor? So a robo-advisor is basically, it's artificial intelligence. It's cloud-based technology that basically invests money on behalf of a user. And we've seen the advertisements for various offerings in Canada and the United States. And this is something that probably isn't going to go away anytime soon. There is a niche or a niche, as they say in the United States, to have these services automated. And you're seeing maybe a surgence of them online. So robo-advisors basically will split up your assets. You could open up all the accounts that you would with a traditional brokerage like ours, have an RSP, an RESP, TFSAs, cash accounts, Oftentimes, the investment decision, though, is based on a formula and that will be invested into some set of exchange-traded funds or mutual funds that are then just sort of rebalanced regularly by this artificial intelligence. So you can see why they can be popular. They can be popular for anybody that considers themselves a hands-off, do-it-yourself type of investor because they are able to Fill out a questionnaire. It helps determine the tolerance levels that 
Perhaps that investor might think they have. It will connect to your bank account through the software and it'll basically invest your money. Now, what I wanted to talk about this is that a lot of the advertisement is spent on showing rates of return. So one of the companies, maybe I'll leave them nameless, points to this example where I say, if you invested so-and-so with this robo-advisory group, you would save, I don't know what it is, 30% a year in fees. And by getting a market return of X percent, you'll be so much more ahead. That creates the impression that you will get that return or that the return that you would get with them would be identical to the return you would get elsewhere other than the fees. And showing that kind of, here's how much money you will have at the end can be very misleading. Well, and that was part of the conversation we had with Carl Richards today was he talked about how market returns, they matter, of course, and we have no control over them. The market is going to return what the market's going to return. So he was talking about focusing on what we can control. And I think of this in our line of work, a robo-advisory would, I guess, just rebalance it unless the investor pulls out, makes a decision to exit a position. And we'll get into that a little bit more, but it was interesting for me today how Carl Richards was talking about this, but also David Booth, the founder of Dimensional Fund Advisors, also mentioned in the other virtual conference we attended how you can't control what markets do. You can only control how much risk you take. And the amount of risk you take is, for many people, very difficult to actually quantify that. You mean you can't just fill out a simple template? That's one of the differences when you talk about what is the difference between a robo-advisor and a human advisor. The term robo-advisor can be misleading because, for the most part, these are companies that have found a way to simplify the investing process. And so they don't provide in-depth financial advice. And I wouldn't say they don't care about your big life events, but I guess them as robos can't compare. Well, it's like your computer. Your computer can't care about what's happening to you in your day. That's right. So human advisors, we handle both investing funds and help figure out what exactly is important to you that requires planning money and time in order to develop a personalized plan. But a lot more companies these days in the robo field are actually offering some kind of hybrid of robo and human advice where the software handles the investing part and the human provides financial advice. And I think we'll probably see more of that in the future because it seems to be what people want. There was a survey by Capital One that found about 69% of investors would like to use a digital human hybrid. So I don't know if they're talking about a cyborg or something. (laughs) Well, that's the Terminator. (laughs) The Terminator is coming for Sarah Connors. So they'd like to use a digital human hybrid to manage their money. 74% say they want a financial advisor to help them get through turbulent markets. And that's really key. And we'll talk about that a little bit more. So if you look at some of the, what would be some of the pros and cons of robo-advisors? Well, the pros are certainly they charge low and typically flat fees. They use easily liquid and easily tradable ETFs. Just as a reminder, ETFs or exchange-traded funds are just typically passive investments that invest in a broad market index. And those were the funds that essentially were developed from the efficient market hypothesis that states just owning the index in a low-cost way will allow you to get returns very close to the market averages. Let's go through that one again in English, just plain easy English. Okay. Owning the market? Buying all of the stocks that are represented by an index like the TSX Composite Index or the S&P 500 Index, typically just owning those stocks that make up those indexes is simple, it's low cost, and it will guarantee that your return will be very similar to 
how those indexes perform. So they do create diversified portfolios that they develop based on a risk tolerance and time horizon, usually developed from a questionnaire that the investor fills out. They do rebalance the portfolio automatically, and they automatically allocate money to different exchange-traded funds around the world. Now, before you go on, Greg, I just want to talk about that risk tolerance one, because as you've pointed out, we have quite a few years of experience in this field. And isn't it always the same? When markets are going up, everybody has a high risk tolerance. That's right. And when markets, So they believe. So they believe. And then when markets sell off is when people start to revisit, well, what is their true risk tolerance? And that's not always clear from just filling out a questionnaire. No, and very often we'll remind people or explain to people who weren't invested back in 2007 through 2009 when we went through the global financial crisis is that thinking theoretically that, oh, okay, well, if the market went down 20%, I think I could live with that. Thinking about that in advance and ticking off a checkbox on a questionnaire saying, yes, I could live with a 20% downturn in my portfolio is a little bit different than the actual emotion that you feel every time you open up your statement or look online and see that you've actually lost 10 or 20% of your money. And so having that understanding is really critical to ensuring that people get into the right asset allocation. Like when they see red numbers versus green numbers? Yes. Isn't it interesting? (laughs) Use the Christmas colors. Why is red a bad number and green a good number? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) But back to, so we talked about some of the pros of robo-advisors, some of the cons, and these cons are more related to the investments themselves. Some of the cons are that, first of all, investors can't always change the asset mix on their own. So they do need to get others involved or use one of these hybrid services. Typically, they only use exchange-traded funds, and so investors who want to add other securities to their portfolio, whether it's individual stocks or funds, they're not able to do that. And they use specific exchange-traded funds, and investors may have different preferences for different types that the robo-advisor doesn't particularly use. Because it's just a select group. That's right. Exactly. And lastly, redeeming isn't always instant, like it may be if you managed your investments yourself at a discount brokerage or if you're working with a full-service advisor. So let's just talk about, and we addressed this a little bit already, the potential downside of using a robo-advisor. And I think one of the first things is, as we already mentioned, they're not financial planners. So when you look at the way that certain robo-advisors market themselves, is they market themselves as replacements for financial planners. And again, it's true that when you look at the actual portfolio itself, so dealing with the investments, most of the robo-advisors are just as good as any individual stockbroker in terms of putting together a diverse portfolio of exchange-traded funds that are low-cost and will provide good geographical diversification of the investments. And because they're lower cost, then by definition, they're probably better in some ways. That's strictly on portfolio construction using exchange-traded funds standpoint. And portfolio construction alone is really a commodity. You can develop programs as the robo-advisors have done, and there's really no need to pay a lot of money for it. But when you talk about financial planning, a good financial planner does a whole lot more. They get to know you personally. They help you actually clarify your goals, because for a lot of people, they'll say, oh, I'd like to plan for my retirement, or I'd like to spend more time with my kids, whatever it might be. And a human planner 
an advisor can help actually clarify those goals and then develop a plan that will address those goals and use all of the financial tools and opportunities available to help their clients reach those goals. So robo-advisors aren't financial planners. They use programs that are basically, I would think, relatively, I won't say superficial, they ask a number of questions and they use a very short questionnaire in a sense to try to get at what your long-term goals are. And that may not fully reflect what they really are for every individual. Look, we're not trying to bash everything here. Robo-advisors are probably the right solution for a lot of smaller investors that are looking for some help with diversification and asset allocation, all those good things. Absolutely. And in fact, in many cases, and when I think particularly of some younger people who have what we call a pretty long runway ahead of them. At that point, when I was 25, I wasn't really thinking about retirement. Maybe I should have been, but I wasn't. I was young. I was starting out in my career. And for me, the long-term goal was growth. And for a lot of younger people, they're confident enough in their own abilities to be able to use a robo-advisor to achieve that. You know what robo-advisors also remind me of though, Greg, is like whenever I have like an ailment, a health ailment, and I go to the Google box, as our friend Tim Noonan called it. And I Google it. What's going on? I got this symptom. And what does it tell me? There are two things it always leads me towards. One is that I'm having a heart attack or two, that I have cancer. Yes. It doesn't seem to matter. I could put in there like my left toe is sore. And if I go down the path far enough, I'll get to a conclusion of one of those two conclusions (laughs) most likely. Well, Dr. Google maybe is not the guy for you. I know that they market themselves as cheap, and we'll get into a little bit of that later, but compared to relative options, maybe they're not as cheap as people think they are. As you pointed out, if you're using a discount brokerage, you can invest into just sort of like an all-market fund. They're offered by the biggest fund and ETF companies out there. They have lower management expense ratios, so lower costs. If your goal is to just be invested and just not ever look at it, you can do it for even a fraction of the price that a robo-advisor would cost. That's right. So it can't just be about price because I know that I got a thing in the mail from a company. I shouldn't say their name, but simple is in it, the word simple. And in it, it pointed out to me that the fees for their services were about half of a percent. And that the MER or the expense on the investment product was 0.2%. So I guess that told me that this free service was going to cost me 0.7%. Doesn't sound like a lot. Well, I think if you look at fees in general out there for other alternatives, like, I don't know, a full service brokerage, the fee is probably about the same. It could be. Certainly, there's a whole range of fee structures that full service advisors might charge, but certainly... It's not way off. And you have to look at what is the value received for the fee that you're paying. That's why it's important that everybody understand what are the options and to pick the one that best suits their needs. You've seen that ad on TV where there's a family and one of the family members is saying, well, my brother went to so-and-so and and they're paying 0.5% and we're paying 2% and they're so much further ahead now. Which actually, of course, is true mathematically that 0.5 is lower than 2.0. So that's pretty obvious. But the focus obviously was just on 0.5 and what that would mean over time. That's right. So how does that relate to performance? Well, 
this is the one thing that is really critical in understanding, and that is that performance is relative. Performance is always relative to a benchmark or an index. And the one thing that ETFs or an ETF portfolio that the robo-advisors will do is they will generate performance that's pretty much in line with the indexes that they're investing in. The problem is that, again, it's not so much the choice of investment, but it's looking at how does the investor behave. And some of the marketing, as we talked about earlier, makes it seem like there's a guaranteed return that if you invest with this particular company because of their fees, that you will have X many millions of dollars more than you would have with the other. And that's just not a claim you can make because there is no guarantee of future returns. There's no guarantee of future performance as we know. And you have just as much risk in the ETFs with your robo-advisor as you would with any other investment strategy. And sometimes you'll make money and sometimes you will lose money. And that's it because we have no idea exactly how the markets will perform in any one year. And one of the speakers we were listening to today, Ken French, who is the co-author of the Fama French Factor Models that are studied by every finance student in the world, he again pointed out, it's not to say nobody can win, but on average, you have to lose. It's a negative sum game. So all he was talking about is that for every winner, there's a loser on every trade. And actually, when you factor in fees, it's actually a negative sum game. That's right. Yeah. So interesting. So let's talk about fintech a little bit. Robo-advisors come from fintech. What does fintech mean? Fintech is just short for financial technology. But I've been hearing the term fintech more and more these days. And it makes it sound new and exciting and just sort of like this new thing. But fintech is not new. No, fintech has been part of technology development in the financial services area for, what, years? Well, yeah, like 30 years. Think about an ATM machine. I remember the first time going to an ATM machine as a kid with my dad and wondering, well, how do you get money out of it? And I guess if we fast forward that to today, I mean, if I give a check to my daughter, well, first of all, she'd say, well, what's this? Right? <laughs> she wouldn't know what a check is. And then she'd say, well, what do I do with it? And I'd say, well, you take out your phone and you take a picture of it and you deposit it to your bank account. That's very different than going and standing in line at a bank waiting to see a teller. Absolutely. Or going to the store with your Apple Watch or smartwatch and paying for something by just tapping your watch on a a small screen. If you think about it, it's a little scary sometimes. Well, it is because it seems that you could swipe by just walking by. (laughs) That's right. I don't know. And of course, there's going to be more progression in this area. And it's not like it's going to be constant. Like change is the only thing constant is a saying I was always told. And so of course there will be change. But like today, I mean, you can bypass a traditional bank and go and get a mortgage online. You can apply for credit at all kinds of places within a few minutes. That's right. It's not something that I know people and certainly myself getting older, it's easy to become afraid of the progress. And in fact, we can't be. I mean, because a lot of the progress is making things easier, less expensive, and we just need to learn the technology to make it happen. What does fintech hold for the future, Greg? I mean, I guess, as we just talked about, there's going to be continuous improvements and developments, some of them good, some of them not so good. There was an article from Deloitte just recently that talked about how interest rate cuts and the coronavirus have induced an economic roller coaster which has upended industry assumptions about the immediate future of fintech. 
So I guess all that really means to me in English is that everything's on hold right now. <laughs> like, <laughs> just like everything in the world. Exactly. Well, listen, one other item that I want to talk about, and it relates to some of the advertising around both self-directed investing, which we used to count discount brokerages, but then now it's self-directed investing as well as robo-advisors. And there's one ad out there that really frosts my buns. And that's the one where two brothers are talking about how they're handling their money. And one asks the other ones, you're not still working with mom and dad's guy, are you? Wait a minute. You're just upset because you think of yourself as mom and dad's guy. <laughs> you figured me a busted. But I think one of the things that joking aside is we're obviously in the full service investment advice business. And in order to be successful at that and to do the job for our clients that they want us to do for them, we have to provide value for the fees we charge and clients have to receive value for that. There's a value of advice, really. It's really the value of advice. Like, what am I paying for? What do I get for that? And so we're just thinking about some of the things that we do in order to try to provide the best advice and to help our clients achieve their goals. One thing which relates to what we were just doing today with the conferences we were attending is we continually upgrade knowledge about investing, financial planning, estate planning through continuing education programs. Some of those programs are required. We have a continuing education requirement as part of our licensing, but most are from our own desire to remain on the leading edge of academic and industry advances. So we attend conferences and educational symposiums. We take certificate courses to continually upgrade our credentials and our expertise. One other thing we do, well, we understand that setting and achieving financial goals are what matter most to investors. So achieving those goals means more to our clients, our investors, than how an investment performed relative to an arbitrary benchmark or other alternative. We take the time to formalize our clients' goals. As I mentioned earlier, first of all, we help our clients clarify them. We formalize them and document them in writing. This is interesting because this came up in the conference today about how you want to diagnose before you prescribe. Well, sure. The way we operate and the way most full-service advisors would like to operate would be to sort of really understand our clients as well as we can, understanding what makes them tick, why they are doing what they're doing, what their goals are, and then we can start to provide advice on to how to structure their investments. And it's not just investments. I mean, we talk about estate planning strategies and kids' education and all sorts of things that become part of how do they reach the goals that they're trying to set for themselves. I know we've talked about how more than likely we're probably the only person outside of their family who cares as much about their money as they do. Absolutely. It's kind of sobering when you think about it. It's quite a big responsibility that we have because they rely on us. They depend on our advice and we have to do the best job and give the best advice we possibly can. One of the other things too, and you've had this a fair bit, is we get lots of questions about financial matters, things like, should we buy this recreational property or can we still retire when we want to? And how can we help fund our grandchildren's education? So these are the kind of things that go well beyond filling out a form and really help us to make course corrections along the way as we're dealing with our clients. Well, and there's a lot of behavioral things that you just pointed out. And I know we've done past episodes on behavioral biases and we have future episodes coming up on them, but isn't there a tendency to focus on recent data out there? So we want to make sure that people are focusing on that longer data and linking it back to whatever they're trying to accomplish. And I'm not saying that robo-advisors can't do that. No. 
I'm just suggesting that the architecture that's in place currently doesn't really help a person make a decision based on behavioral items that they're faced with today. Yes, exactly. And I think the other thing too is that depending on either robo or human advice, there still has to be an element of trust. And so when somebody has a significant financial issue or financial question, they want advice from somebody that they trust. And maybe some of the robo sort of hybrid models where they do offer some human advice can address that for many people. But the person that they're talking to on the other end of the phone knows nothing about them. That's right. And in fact, on subsequent phone conversations, it might be somebody else entirely. So there's obviously lots of differences. And being a mom and dad's guy, I guess, I look at working directly with our clients. I take it as a very personal responsibility. We bring in other professionals as needed. We work with our clients' accountants. We provide tax information. We work with their lawyers and estate lawyers to make sure that their will and estate planning is accurate. And we care. That's just the way we go. Well, we should point out, we're only suggesting this term mom and dad's guy because that's the way that it's phrased in the commercial. Exactly right. It is only saying what was in the commercial. So listen, for all of this, there's absolutely, it's a fact that there is a demand for robo-advisors. And what do you think is the secret that's allowed them to grow so rapidly? Of course, I looked this up and what I found were three things. One of them is technology and it's linked to the demand of a younger generation. So they invested in modern design and branding that has the potential to appeal to millennials without dissuading boomers. It's very slick technology. Very slick. I'd like it, but it also doesn't address the things that we talked about before. But that's the first thing. They also advertise where their potential prospective customers hang out. So it's not like I would see a maybe a robo-advisor ad at a long-term care clinic. Exactly. (laughs) It's probably not the right place for it. Although maybe they're appealing to the next generation, I'm not sure. But they've also figured out how to accelerate the trust building process and compress the sales cycle. So I guess what this would mean to me is whenever we're referred somebody, there is quite a process to it because we're trying to diagnose before prescribing. We're trying to make sure that we totally get the person's situation so we can gear them or drive them in the right direction towards, as you say, what they're trying to accomplish. There would be an easier way of doing it by just simply, I don't know, cutting the diagnosis short and prescribing early. And I think that with some of the slick technology that is involved in some of this, I sound like such an old man when I say the slick technology (laughs) that these millennials are using, but I don't mean it that way. I have a lot of respect for millennials And I have a lot of respect for boomers and even my own generation, which I think is Generation X. Everyone has its own set of unique challenges and circumstances, and they're all just trying to figure it out within their own demographic. That's right. And I think the robo-advisors and the firm with Simple in its name, I think they've done some things really well. They have made it simple because they've created a platform, a technology platform that really guides you through a process. But when we look at what does this all mean? I mean, in the end. Wait, I'm supposed to ask you this. Oh, okay. Greg, what Colin. have we learned today? Oh, thanks for asking, Colin. <laughs> there are many different ways of managing investments. When I started in the industry in the mid-90s, discount brokerages were just in their infancy. And discount brokerages offered essentially the individual, the investor, makes all the decisions 
and they just were able to complete transactions for a low cost relative to what were very high cost full service transaction fees in those days. And this was a big disruption in the investing industry because prior to that, it was a captive market. If you wanted to trade stocks, you had to go through a stock broker and commissions were extremely high. And so the discount brokerage model created an opportunity to enact transactions at a much lower cost than was previously there to do it. Now that offered low cost, no advice, and left the investors basically on their own to have their own success or make their own mistakes. And I think, of course, that coincided with the big run-up in the tech stocks and the tech bubble that popped in 2000. And so unfortunately for many self-directed investors, they suffered a lot during that time. And it's because of a lot of the behavioral mistakes that possibly they made along the way. But that was kind of like the first iteration of disruption in our industry. The second one, which is a big one, is this whole robo-advice. And I think this takes the whole discount brokerage model to the next level. And it certainly is going to have appeal for many people. And the appeal will be a relatively straightforward process, simple to move money back and forth between bank accounts and brokerage accounts. And so it's really established for a relatively competent group of investors, competent technologically. Like just execution, like executing a trade, executing a deposit. Yeah. My mother would have never been able to handle it. But for many people who are very confident and competent using the technology, this will be a very solid way to invest. And of course, there's the full service advice, the area that we, you and I play in. And this is going to appeal to a different group of investors. And so I think the important thing to remember is that there's a number of different ways to invest and investors should make sure that they're in the right platform in the right category to address their needs and for them to feel comfortable that they've clearly identified their goals and are on a path to achieve those. So there you have it. There you have it. (laughs) Well, that was good. And as I say, we're not here to bash fintech, robo-advisors, any of that, like you just pointed out. I think there's a place for all layers to be present in our community. What it reminds me of though, Greg, is brick and mortar stores. This advancement of, I don't know, a company called Amazon. I've heard of them. We do a majority of our shopping at Amazon, which is much different than the majority of shopping my family did when I was my son's age, which would have been going to, I don't know, Eaton's or Simpson Sears or The Bay walking into a store, trying something on, or even getting a catalog and looking through it. There's evolution in all industries. Technology is driving a lot of evolution. That's right. And I think all of the new technologies, again, are not to be afraid of. And I think it's probably incumbent on all of us to learn how to use new technologies because that will only continue that whole process. But again, we want to make sure that we're in the right place. And I can't try on any clothes on Amazon. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to have to go into stores. That's just the way it is. (laughs) I actually bought a TV from that company. Oh, yes. And it was delivered to my house. I was all excited, opened it up, and the screen was broken. Ouch. So I contacted them and said, the screen's broken. They sent me another one. It got to my house. I opened it up, and the screen was broken. So then I was stuck with two TVs at my house, (laughs) and I had to contact them. Well, how do I get these back to you? So I had to ship them. It cost hundreds of dollars. I'm going on and on about the story. I don't mean to. But anyways, at the end of the day, I did finally get a TV with not a crack in the screen. That just highlights there's benefits and there's disadvantages of every new technology. So I got a disadvantage I got to share with you. I was mistaken. I watched a show the other night. I tried to watch it. 
It was called The Gentleman. It has some big stars in it, like Matthew McConaughey and some others. I watched half of that show as well. And what'd you think? I only watched half, so what does that tell you? It was terrible. <laughs> when you looked at the lineup, it sounds like you did, just like I did. You I thought, did. this is going to be pretty good. I hate it when that happens. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I know we're not TV critics or movie critics, but I'm not sure where that show was going. Luckily, there's a reasonable amount of diversity and selection available these days. Well, it's funny. I turned that off and I turned on another streaming service, The World's Toughest Race, Oh, which is produced by the producers of Survivor. Oh, that's interesting. I haven't seen that one. Yeah, I know it's good. It's like a reality race, an adventure race filmed in Fiji, where there's like 60 teams that do an 11-day race through mountains and rivers and oceans and all the things. I'm watching them do this, Greg, and I'm thinking there's no way I'm doing that. No. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's good to know that that's out there for any of our listeners who have reached the end of Netflix. Yeah, the end of Netflix. That's right. Well, I guess that's all the time we got today. I think we went a little long, but Greg, that was good stuff. Thanks for joining us today. We'll look forward to having you join us on our next podcast. Sounds good. Till next time. Thank you for listening to the Free Lunch Podcast hosted by the CM Group at CIBC Wood Gundy. To subscribe to this podcast to get more realistic insight on investing or to connect with one of our talented partners, please head on over to markets-work.com. We'll see you next time on the Free Lunch Podcast. The CIBC logo and CIBC Private Wealth Management are registered trademarks of CIBC. If you are currently a CIBC Wood Gundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Private Wealth Management consists of services provided by CIBC and certain of its subsidiaries, including CIBC Wood Gundy, a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc. CIBC Private Wealth Management is a registered trademark of CIBC used under license. Wood Gundy is a registered trademark of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Colin Andrews and Greg Kraminski are investment advisors with CIBC Wood Gundy. This information, including any opinion, is based on various sources believed to be reliable, but its accuracy cannot be guaranteed and is subject to change. CIBC and CIBC World Markets, Inc., their affiliates, directors, officers, and employees may buy, sell, or hold a position in securities of a company mentioned herein, its affiliates or subsidiaries, and may also perform financial advisory services, investment banking or other services for, or have lending or other credit relationships with the same. CIBC World Markets, Inc. and its representatives will receive sales commissions and or a spread between bid and ask prices if you purchase, sell, or hold the securities referred to above. CIBC World Markets, Inc., 2020.